0: Seated, he is risen. There we go. I love it. Welcome, happy Easter. I'm glad to have you here with us today. If you're family or friends or neighbors from the community and this is your first time with us, we're delighted that you're worshiping with us this morning. You can open up your Bible to First Corinthians chapter 15, but don't worry, Um, the passage we'll be looking at will also be on the screen behind me. Every week in the life of our church, we preach the gospel, the good news. That Christ Jesus has died for the forgiveness of sins and triumphed over death in the resurrection. And so in some ways, Easter Sunday is merely a continuation of what we do here every week. But on Easter Sunday, there's a kind of unique zeal and passion that characterizes our celebration of the resurrection in particular. And I think what I'd like for us to say just right at the beginning is Easter Sunday is always a great opportunity to reset and to remember that we actually celebrate with resurrection joy every Sunday and not just every Sunday, but every day. The resurrection of Christ is something that we magnify not one day a year, but every day of the year and Easter is merely another excuse to do so. And when we think about celebrating Christ's triumph, it might be easy for you depending on what the circumstances of your life has been in recent days or maybe your vantage point on the world, to look around and ask yourself, are we celebrating that Christ has triumphed over death? Are we celebrating that Christ has triumphed over disease? Are we celebrating that Christ has triumphed over evil? Because if that's what we're celebrating, I'm a little confused. Because those still seem to be pronounced in our world. Maybe you look around the world and you say, man, it still seems like there's a lot of evil. still seems like there's a lot of death. Still seems like there's a lot of brokenness. Maybe you look at your own life and you say to yourself, man, I feel broken. I feel torn. I feel stuck. I feel forgotten. I feel shamed. I feel dead. Or maybe you're at the place in your life where you go, I actually don't feel anything at all. I feel numb. I feel paralyzed. I feel crippled. And wherever we may be found today, I think that it's true for all of us that everyone, everywhere, wants there to be change. Everyone wants the world to change. Everyone wants their life to change. But what actually changes the world? What actually changes our lives? I would submit to you that alarms are going off. Alarms are going off in our lives and in the life of the world that things are not as they should be. And everyone, everywhere is looking for a solution. We find ourselves in a predicament. And we've mentioned it here before. We have never been so sure that the world is broken, and yet we have never felt so paralyzed to do anything about it. And how do we celebrate Easter Sunday in the midst of that kind of moment? How can we say that Christ has defeated sin, death, and evil? What is there to celebrate on a day like today? Well, what I want you to hear and what I think we'll see in the passage is this. Easter isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of the final chapter. Easter isn't the end of the story. What we're doing today doesn't end today. Easter is the beginning of the final chapter. And God is inviting you and I and everyone in the world to have our past rewritten and our future reshaped through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 11. The words will be on the screen as well. And after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You're invited to respond by saying, thanks be to God. The reason we do that is that God hasn't left his people in silence. He has spoken. So let me read, beginning in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. I love that, Jake. Thank you, brother. You bless me. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Before the resurrection, there was the crucifixion of Christ Jesus. Before Easter Sunday, there was Good Friday. We gathered here on Friday night and we remembered and we reflected on the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen three. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance. He's telling you, listen, above anything else I have to say to you, this thing, this is the most urgent thing. If you're only going to hear one thing that I have to say, Paul's saying, hear this. I delivered it to you as of first importance. It is the first, first thing I have to tell you. And what is it? Where does it start? It starts with what we would prefer to not acknowledge, which is the death of Christ. Before there was new life, there was death. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a cross. But why? But why? Why is this a part... ...of the Easter message. Why is the death of the Son of God good news? Well, it's good news because on the cross... ...Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God. The wrath of God against what? The wrath of God against you and I. The wrath of God against the sin of the world. The wrath of God against evil, sin, Satan, and death. We are actually born deserving underneath this judgment of God. And yet on the cross... Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, takes it upon himself. Good Friday is good in part because what God does on it is good for you. And it's good for me. And it's good for the life of the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, goes to the cross to bear the punishment that we deserve. But that's not it. He also pays the price for the forgiveness of sins. He pays a debt we owe. We're born into this world debtors. Separated from God. And the debt is insurmountable. You can't pay back the debt you're born into this world owing. And yet God can and God has in Jesus Christ. This is precisely the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ has paid the debt of death that we owe. That's what he's done. See when we think about the whole story of scripture. It had been pointing towards a day when a Messiah would come. When a king would come. And this king would make a wrong world right. This king would mend a broken world. But do you know how he would do it? By having his own body broken, torn asunder, nailed to the cross. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah, looking far into the future, says that this king has borne our griefs. This king has carried our sorrows. This king was stricken. He was smitten by God. He would be afflicted. He would be pierced for our transgression. He would be crushed for our iniquities. Upon this king, all of our chastisement, all of the debt we owed and the penalty associated with it would be placed upon him. And through it, he would bring us peace. He would heal us. Isaiah says that all of us, like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned away from the Lord. And yet the Lord lays on this king all of our wrongdoings all of our brokenness. This is what happens on the cross at Good Friday. Death is the consequence for sin, and God in the flesh takes it upon himself. Christ paid his life to pay a debt that we could never pay, and yet we desperately owe. And I know when we think about Easter Sunday, we would rather move right to the hope of resurrection, and that is where God is taking us. That is what today is celebrating. But we have to look with honesty upon the body of the crucified Lord before we can begin to appreciate the hope of resurrection on Easter Sunday. We are not prepared to be desperate for the hope of new life until we acknowledge honestly that we deserve death. And this is why Paul says, I delivered to you as a first importance that yes, Christ died for our sins. When we look at the cross, we do not see what God deserves. We see what we deserve. When you look upon the cross, you do not see what Jesus deserves. You see what you deserve. That is a part of the gracious act of God, is that he takes upon himself the penalty that we owe. That cross is where we belong. That cross is where you and I should live. But God and in his incredible grace has provided a substitute for sinners. And that substitute is none other than God in the flesh himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died and was buried. Now that's the message of Good Friday. But it's not the whole message of Easter. Because the story continues, right? Look at what Paul says. I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Just like it was promised that the king would come and would die a death on our behalf he did not deserve, it was promised that he would triumph over death. In the resurrection. That he would conquer death through death. In resurrection, power, and life. The good news of Easter is that the penalty for sin has been broken through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just his death, but his resurrection has triumphed over the powers of sin, death, and darkness. He is risen. That is what he has done. He has conquered death. He threw down the powers of sin, death, and Satan that keep us separated from true life, from true joy, from true peace, from salvation with God. This is what Christ has done. It is the resurrection power that defies and breaks, that shatters the teeth, is what Scripture will say, of the power of death, sin, shame, and Satan. The resurrection begins a final chapter. A final volume in the multi-volume story of Scripture. A promise that death does not have the final word. That death does not have the final word because sin and Satan, they have, been, uh, they have failed in their endeavor to conquer the world and Christ has triumphed over them. Everything after the resurrection are ripples in a new era. The resurrection is the avalanche of stone into the pond of our world that continues To shape and to change and to spread and to ripple throughout it. And we stand in attention. We stand in attention between Easter Sunday, year after year, and the second coming of Christ our Lord. You see, after his resurrection, Christ did not hide himself. Verses 8 and 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul's been saying he appeared to a lot of people. You see, after Christ's resurrection, he didn't hide himself. He didn't go tuck away in a corner, right? He went and he showed who he was. He showed his resurrected body. This isn't just a point to demonstrate the historicity, the factual nature of the resurrection of Christ, though it does. It's a point to make something greater obvious to us, that Christ in resurrection power is not looking to hide himself from you, although we often try to hide ourselves from God. We often try to tuck away We often try to hide our sin, hide our shame, hide our dirty laundry. Remember who's writing this? Do you know who's writing these words? Paul. Do you know much about Paul's story? Paul was not looking for God. Paul was looking for those who feared God so that he might kill them, that he might imprison them. Paul wasn't on the road to Damascus to share the gospel. Paul was on the road to Damascus to kill the gospel. That's what Paul wanted to do. The person writing this was well acquainted with being someone who had no interest in God finding him. And yet God did. Because Christ, after his resurrection, his ministry then and now, is not to hide himself from us, even though we try to hide ourselves from God, but to show himself to us even when we don't want to look Even when we'd rather look to a hundred other silver bullet solutions that never deliver on the promises they make, Christ continues to appear to us, continue to show himself to us. And you go, well, where? Where is Christ showing me the glory of God? Right now, right here, today, yet again, the word of the Lord speaks to you saying, you do not have to cover your eyes. You do not have to hide your shame. You do not have to hide your sin. I don't know what you think you've done... ...that you need to keep hidden from God... ...but it's not and you don't. God has come to seek and save sinners. He has secured the great work of salvation... He is not impressed with you, nor will he ever be. Nor do you need to strive to be impressive. He is asking you to receive a forgiveness he's already fully secured. He's asking you to receive a treasure he's already got on your behalf. He's asking you to receive a gift that he is graciously providing in Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says, 8 and 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born. Paul wasn't looking for God. He calls himself the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But look at the turn in verse 10. What does he say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. Grace. 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 That is what the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus has secured for us. The assurance of grace. Grace that transforms us through what Christ has done. Grace that we receive as we encounter Jesus. So let me ask you, have you encountered Jesus? Have you seen him? Has he appeared to you? And if you feel like, no, maybe he hasn't, then he is today. He stands before you in his preached word and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's a rest he can promise to you because it's a rest he has secured in his resurrection. Christ has not hidden himself from us. He is constantly inviting us to let the mask drop, to open up the corners of our heart and to once again receive the message that we cannot repair the breach between us and God, but somebody has. A hero has come who has triumphed over sin, death, and Satan. I know that it is easy for us to believe that the answer to what will change the world is whatever is in the corners of our heart, it's whatever our hope is pinned to in a present moment, it's something that we think will alleviate our circumstances, some silver bullet position or policy or solution, something that we can buy or secure that will promise us the safety and security that we long for. We know these things because we set our hearts upon them. They capture our imagination. And yet what we need to hear on Resurrection Sunday is that the only hope for the life that God is inviting us to live is in Jesus. He is the only one who secures what we need. He is the only one who can provide the salvation that we lack. Listen, do you know what we find when we quit trying to hide from God who doesn't hide from us? We find salvation. We find healing. We find an honest hope. Let me tell you, the resurrection life of Christ, it isn't hidden. It's not just for the mystics. It's not for the faithful few. It's not just for those who get it. It's not just for the true believers. It's for the skeptics. It's for the suffering and the seeking. It's for the faithless and the unbelieving. It's for the fearful, the sinner, the wanderer, the lost, the confused. And maybe you don't know this. Maybe you've never experienced it. Maybe the fear that you hold is that once the veil falls, once the illusion of your religiousness, once the mask of your pretension, once the cost of our arrogance and pride falls, you'll have nothing left. Well, let me tell you what you find when you find that you have nothing left at all but Jesus. You have Jesus, and he's all. He's the best. He's the gift. He's the treasure, the promise of resurrection. Is it for the Christian, the worst that is coming for us is resurrected life with Christ forever. That's the good news. That's good news. Wherever you are today, God is inviting you to encounter the glory of his grace in the resurrection of Christ. Either to encounter it for the first time and to be made alive or to be reminded today to live like you have been made alive. Because for some of us, we have chosen to live like we have not been made alive. You've received grace. You've experienced salvation. But you've learned to live numb. You've learned to live calloused. You've learned to live loveless. And that is not what God is inviting you into. He is inviting you into abundant life. Not because your circumstances are abundant, but because His grace is. Some of us need to be reminded that resurrected life is actually living. It's not just the appearance of living. It's not just the projection of living. It's actually living life. And some of us have never even considered that that promise could be for us. And wherever you are today, God is inviting you to encounter Jesus afresh. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. He will finish what he has begun. And in the time between, we are invited to live in this resurrection power. In Romans eight eleven. Paul ties the resurrection of Christ to our life. Listen, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? Do you know what it means that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that you can also experience life? It means that resurrection isn't merely something we get together to remember and celebrate. Resurrection is something we can experience today. That's what it means. It means resurrection is not a historical fact about the Son of God, though it is. It's not merely that. It's not just that resurrection is a profound theological truth that gives us hope in the face of death, though it is. It means that resurrection power is something that God does. And God can do it again by the power of His Spirit... In you, Easter is not the end. It is the beginning of the final volume and God's long story of Scripture. The beginning of an age of resurrection. A time of invitation to be made alive. And you and I and the whole world are living in it right now. In the glorious power of the resurrection. And I want to ask you, are you experiencing this? Do you want to experience this? It's possible to live in resurrection power. It really is. And it doesn't mean that all of your circumstances will change to a rosy best. But it does mean that you will believe that every day you are living with God. Not merely under his rule and reign, but with him in his very presence. And you can do that because he's not dead. He's alive. This is what God is inviting us into for the church. And for those of you who go, I have not yet placed my faith in Jesus. God in his word stands before you today and says, why would you wait? What would hold you back? What sin, shame, fear, or anxiety prevents you from throwing yourself at the foot of the cross, knowing it has already been conquered, that the debt of death has already been paid, that the tomb is now a groove, and it is empty because of what Christ has done. To experience resurrection, we do not have to go to a far-off land. To experience resurrection, we do not have to throw ourselves at some mystic altar. To experience resurrection, we need but only come to Jesus again and again and again. For he is the only resurrected Lord, and he leads a triumphant procession of those who follow in the resurrection party of Easter Sunday. King has come. The king is coming. And between those two moments, we are invited to live in a royal resurrected kingdom. I don't know what you're doing with your life, but I know what I'm giving my life to, and I invite you to join me in that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you and we acknowledge that what you have done in Jesus is not just a great thing, it is the greatest thing. Spirit of God, we proclaim that the resurrection is not merely something that has happened. It is something that can happen in our lives now by the power of the Spirit of God. And we ask that you would accomplish it. We ask that you would do it. God, I pray for those in here today who have experienced salvation, but are not living in resurrection life, I pray that today, that right now, in these moments, they would ask themselves, they would be honest with themselves enough to acknowledge, God, that they have learned to live numb. They have learned to live as if the tomb is still full. And I pray that you would fill their hearts with the hope, with the hope that it is possible, God, by the power of your spirit in the name of the resurrected King Jesus, to live their life in your presence, to live their life in your power. I want to invite you right now as you're praying, if that's you, if you're somebody who believes, listen, I've learned, I've experienced salvation, but I have just learned to live numb, then I want you to pray just in this moment and ask God, God, would you once again invite me into the power, the passion, and the presence of resurrected life? Just ask God that right now. Spirit of God, that you would do this work. God, I know that there are some among us, God, who continued to delay a day when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I pray that they would wait and delay no longer. I pray that whether child, man, or woman, God, that today might be the day of salvation. God, that there would be some among us who would cry out to you and say, God, would you make me alive in Jesus? God, thank you for what you've done in Christ to forgive me of my sins. Would you forgive me? That I might walk in freedom and in life that's you, I want to invite you right now to just pray and say, God, would you help me? God, would you save me? God, would you give me life in exchange for the death that I deserve? God, would you? Father, we thank you for what you have done in Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would give us hearts that believe. Like the apostles ask, increase our faith. Like the soldier asks, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us to believe that you truly are who you say you are and that you have done what you say you have done and that you are going to do what you promised to do. And I pray that our hearts would be aflame in the life of Christ Jesus. That we would be walking in resurrection, passion, power, and presence. And I pray that we would be proclaimers of this message. Not just today, but every day. Participants in a kingdom of resurrection power under our resurrected king. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with us as we receive the Lord's Supper?